0: Welcome back to Brain Ablaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy, by epileptics, for epileptics, and our caretakers. I'm your host, David Clifford. In this episode, we will talk about one of my favorite things in the whole world, sleep. We've already talked about sleep in several of our episodes, but each time we have opened new questions. And this time around, let's investigate the dangers of too little sleep, how to improve the quality and quantity of your sleep, and of course, nocturnal seizures. If you're new to Brain to Blaze, I just want to state that I'm not a medical expert. I'm just someone who has struggled with the ins and outs of epilepsy for almost three decades. The best way to learn about how you sleep and how you can improve it is to reach out to your doctor. A sleep study can be performed to learn more about your particular habits. During this simple inpatient study, you are attached to an EEG and asked to sleep for a night in a comfortable room. The results vary, of course, but doctors can determine the best solutions for you moving forward. A nocturnal seizure is a fancy word for a convulsive seizure when one is sleeping. Though the name includes nocturnal, you might have a nocturnal seizure when you are taking a nap during the day. Most people who have nocturnal seizures don't realize it until someone around them tells them. However, there are a few telltale signs, and because it's convulsive seizure, one might cry out right before the seizure starts, wet the bed, bite their tongue, or even fall out of bed. When I wake up after experiencing a nocturnal seizure, I feel more physically drained than when I went to bed. It's like I never hit the sack at all. Some people only experience nocturnal seizures, while plenty of people don't have nocturnal seizures at all. Having some types of epilepsy make one more susceptible. For example, frontal onset seizures, juvenile myoclonic epilepsy, tonic-clonic seizures upon waking, benign rolandic, electrical status epilepticus of sleep, and Landau-Kleffner syndrome. If one is worried that one might be having nocturnal seizures and one sleeps alone, how can one know for sure? As we stated earlier, the best way to learn more is to contact your doctor and order a sleep study. But while you're wait for your sleep study, a heart rate monitor is a very simple tool to help you learn more. Plentiful and cost-effective, this tool can be coarsely used to determine if your body is seeing unusual activity during the night. Another great tool is a simple video camera. Baby cameras have IR filters these days. Think up the video with the unusual heart rate activity can let you know what is happening. If you do find any seizure activity, make sure to save the video and show it to your neurologist at your next appointment. Now, I'm sure you're asking, how do we prevent nocturnal seizures from happening? The process in which we prevent nocturnal seizures is the same as daytime seizures. We find a neurologist, take our medication, and mind our triggers. Unfortunately, that's when it becomes a little more complex. In our episode on seizure triggers, I said this of sleep. For my seizures, even one to two days of bad sleep a week was a major trigger. That's right. For most people with epilepsy, the lack of sleep is one of the most reliable triggers to their seizures. So, one can immediately see the problem. If one tries to sleep and then has a nocturnal seizure, that can trigger another seizure. Then one tries to sleep to compensate for that, and then causing another nocturnal seizure... And it goes round and round and round and round no. Here's the secret that will break the downward spiral. It's not just the quantity of sleep you get, but the quality. Early in life, we are told that sleeping is what we do when we're not living. It is a well from which we can take time to fulfill our other goals. Who hasn't stayed up late the night before a big test to cram? Are you tired of hearing the myth of tonight is the night? There's no other night. Put your hands up, tonight is the night. Here's John Maloney talking about that same exact thing. Because every new song is about how tonight is the night and how we only have tonight. That is such 19-year-old horse. I want to write songs for people in their 30s called tonight's no good, how about Wednesday? Oh, you're in Dallas on Wednesday? Oh, okay. Well, then let's just not see each other for eight months, and it doesn't matter at all. Putting its effects on epilepsy aside, there are real personal risks of getting too little sleep. The CDC says getting too little sleep is associated with increased risk for obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, coronary heart disease, stroke, frequent mental distress, and all cases mortality. Yet with all the documented dangers, I'm sure you've heard people in your life complain, or really brag, about how little sleep they get. Oh my god, I'm just so tired. You know, I only get like three hours a day between my work and my gym. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Before the lockdown of the COVID-19 pandemic, a new batch of sleepless elite emerged to parade through the media to suggest that everyone and anyone can sleep as little as four to five hours a night, just like them. Indra Newey, the CEO of PepsiCo, Marissa Meyer, the CEO of Yahoo, Martha Stewart, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter and Square, and Gucci fashion designer and director Tom Ford, all subscribe to this theory. Now, there is a small group of people, estimated to be one to three percent of the population, that can reside on four to five hours of sleep at night. They have a gene diversity that allows them to do so. Maybe all of the aforementioned individuals have it. However, it often makes you think. One thing to notice is that all of the sleepless elite seem to be ambassadors for their publicly traded companies. One has to ask, are these elites actually practicing what they preach? Or instead have subscribed to Ben Franklin's age-old advice. Scholar, scientist, and sex addict. Benjamin Franklin described that he would often wake up early mornings to shuffle a heavy cart full of paper to his presses. The cart's wheels made a terrible racket and gained the attentions of anybody nearby. How's it going, Mr. Franklin? Townspeople would remark how hardworking the young Mr. Franklin was. They'd be more inclined to learn about what he was spending so much time writing. They would queue to buy his paper, hot off the presses. In addition to the personal risks of getting too little sleep, There are additional risks that can affect all of us. The CDC also reports that an estimated 1 in 25 adult drivers age 18 or older report having fallen asleep while driving in the previous 30 days. But how much sleep is enough? The amount of sleep that one needs actually changes throughout their whole life. When you're a teen, between 13 and 18 years old, you might need 8 to 10 hours. As an adult, from 18 to 60 years old, you might just need 7. When you get to 61 to 64, maybe it goes up to 7 to 9. And then of course, 65 years older, you need 7 to 8. If these sound pretty arbitrary to you, well, that's because they are generalizations and everyone is different. If you are worried that you are not getting enough sleep. Try the following experiment to figure out how much sleep you do actually need. For this experiment, I want you to throw out your morning alarm clock. Instead, every day for a week, go to sleep at the same time each night and let your body wake up naturally. In the morning, note the time that you woke up and if you feel refreshed. After a week, you'll start to see a pattern. Do you need a few hours more or are you one of those few that can handle sleeping on fewer hours? After you secured your number, retrieve your alarm clock and spend that next month or so going to sleep every night at the same time and sleeping that many hours. We would love to hear what happened. Did it work for you as well as it did for us? This really should be an ongoing process, an experiment that you run every several months to make sure that your rhythm hasn't changed. Learning what works best for you and sticking to it are key. Getting the right number of hours is great, but don't forget to improve the quality of your sleep. The first thing you can do to enhance the quality of your sleep is to commit to the idea that sleep is not wasted time. You'd find it weird if someone bragged to you about how they urinate only once every few days, right? That would just lead to more questions. It's the same thing here. Sleep is active time that your body needs. The patterns that we apply to falling and staying asleep is called sleep hygiene. And just like any other aspect of our lives, it can be improved. The easiest thing we can do to improve our sleep hygiene is to change the environment in which we sleep. Our bedroom really should be used for the three S's, sleep, sex, and solitude. Sleep and sex are obvious inclusions in the bedroom, but we should work to push all of the other activities out of it. That goes against all logic, right? I mean, growing up, we were taught that our rooms are our own space and we can do whatever we want. It's where we spend hours reading books, or listening to music, or spending hours writing in your journal about how you know the neighbor girl would just fall in love with you if you could figure out a way to just let her know that you exist. Maybe that's just me. For generations, rock and roll bands have sung about our rooms. Not only crappy bands, either. I mean, the Beach Boys, Weezer, there's a whole bunch of them. Okay, fine. Weezer was singing about the garage, but it's the same concept. On the other hand... It kind of does make sense, though. How hard is it to put that TV to remote control down to go to sleep? And how many times have you told yourself one more chapter or picked up the phone to send out just a quick text? Now, we've covered sleep and sex, but what about the third S? That stands for solitude. In every relationship, there are big conversations. Do you find that you have those hard conversations in your bedroom? When it comes time to sleep, it is that much more difficult to resolve to do so. To improve the solitude further, our bedroom should be decorated to enhance our sleep. We've already made progress by removing the TV, and there are a lot of other things that produce light during the night. The icon on your phone, for example. Window coverings are also a great addition if you can invest in them. As a person of epilepsy, we should also provide further enhancements to the bedroom to ensure that we are safe. A low bed frame prevents high falls. Simple childproof corner cushions applied to the side tables provide protection against one's errant arm Head. Consider attaching the lamps that would normally sit on the side tables to the actual wall. A mat or a cushy rug on the floor at the edge of your bed provides a great cushion if someone does fall off. Another simple tool that has worked well for me involves a pool noodle. That's right, a pool noodle. I have actually learned this solution from my toddler and quickly adapted it to my own sleep habit. When placed under the fitted bedsheet, the pool noodle can be manipulated to provide a simple physical boundary at the edge of the bed. I end up adding it only when I need it. One last comment about solitude, and this one is directed to the guys out there. It is kind of gross, but it has to be brought up to your attention. Guys, don't take the big job to the master bedroom before bedtime, Nuff said. What happens if we make changes to our environment and we're still having a hard time falling asleep? A lot of what we do is routine. And if you can get into the I'm going to sleep now mindset, even before entering your bedroom, that's best. Rather than setting an alarm for the actual bedtime, set it for a quarter hour before. And rather than using the 15 minutes trying to accomplish the last few tasks of your day, or even preparing for the next, spend the time imagining how great sleeping is going to be during the night. Consider putting a notepad next to your bed, so if the important thing pops in your brain the moment your body hits the sheets, you can quickly jot it down and get back to what your body needs. A proper exercise regime can make us that much more interested in crawling to bed at the end of the day. Just make sure that you confine your activities to earlier in the day. And if you're a coffee addict like me, you might find yourself ordering an espresso after dinner just to help things digest. Is digesting a meal more important than getting a good night's sleep? Lay off the caffeine at least for a few hours before bedtime. And the same thing goes for alcoholic beverages. If you are still waking up, feeling like you never went to bed, you might be suffering from sleep apnea. According to the American Sleep Apnea Association, it is estimated that 22 million Americans suffer from sleep apnea, with 80% of the cases of moderate and severe obstructive sleep apnea undiagnosed. We also looked up the same statistics associated with the UK, and the British Lung Foundation reports similar numbers, with 1.5 million adults having obstructive sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is a real problem, but it can be solved readily quickly. Remember what I said at the top of this show? Contacting your doctor about a sleep study is the best bet. Did any of our suggestions work for you? We would love to hear any of your comments regarding this or any of our other episodes. You can reach out to us via email at socialbringablaze.com or on Twitter at If you like this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us by providing a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever you download your content. One small click really does help. See you next time.